everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am Taylor Rockwell. Uh, Daryl Grove is not with me instead. I've got Felipe Cardenas one more time to help me preview the Gold Cup final and the Copa America final. Uh, we first look at El Tri, uh, maybe how they will tactically approach their game against the United States, how the United States might be able to capitalize on how Mexico will tactically approach this game, but then also sort of what's in store for Tata Martino if Mexico win and if Mexico don't win, how maybe uh, the Mexican press will treat both of those results. Uh, one of them probably more favorably than the other. We then look at uh, the Copa America final, which will surprisingly feature uh, Brazil. Maybe that's not the surprising one, but also Peru. That is the surprising one. They knocked off Chile in the semifinal. Uh, 3-0, pretty dramatically, pretty emphatically. So we get into how Peru managed that result and then what we should sort of expect from that final, uh, how Peru will maybe look to right the ship after losing to Brazil in the group stage. So uh, two finals, two previews. Felipe does most of the previewing because he has most of the knowledge. So now I will turn it over to me and Felipe. With me once again, I've got Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. I hope I got the pronunciation right for a second straight time. Felipe, how'd I do? You nailed it. All right. I don't necessarily (laughs) believe you, but I appreciate your positivity to start the show. Um, Whatever it takes. (laughs) And I promise one day I will stop asking. But Daryl and I are both, I think, going to try to make a concerted effort to... uh, to for me, like rediscover Spanish since I've taken two or three years of it. For Daryl, I think to learn Spanish, we're going to try to be a little bit better about these things, mostly so that we can watch uh, like Telemundo and Univision and uh, see what's happening and like kind of understand roughly what's happening with the commentators because it's pretty enjoyable. Well, hey, I mean, I believe in you guys. You guys are smart dudes. I think you can pick it up. All right. Well, I appreciate your positivity there. Uh, and I appreciate you coming on the show once again to discuss uh, all things, I guess, Copa America, all things uh, Gold Cup, specifically uh, El Tri, and then specifically the, uh, the uh, Copa America final. Let's start Gold Cup, though. So uh, Mexico obviously already uh, had booked their ticket to the final last time we spoke. The United States now there. So USA-Mexico, the final that was kind of expected, but doesn't necessarily always happen. Uh, Felipe, for those who haven't been following Mexico, how do you think they'll approach this game Tactically, I know Martino hasn't been particularly uh, flexible when it comes to the way he's been uh, tactically preparing Mexico. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, huh? Like the, the the last story I wrote for the Athletic Soccer was a little bit about that relationship that Tata Martino has right now with uh, the Mexican soccer media. It's always complicated. It's not just because it's Tata Martino. I think, regardless of who the manager is, it's you you just can't win. And so it is interesting that when Juan Carlos Osorio was the manager, he was often criticized for changing too much, for being too flexible and rotating and uh, kind of randomly playing with the back three and then playing with the back four and then playing with one number nine and a false nine. And it was just kind of endless. And now with Tata, like he's just, he's not going to change. He's, he's, he's much more of a, I guess you could call him stubborn in that way, but he kind of believes 100% his tactical system and his philosophy and in, in the way they play. Uh, that doesn't mean he is, uh, com- you know, considering the opponent that he has, he might not change, but um, a lot of the criticism, early criticism of, of Tata Martino from some, I guess, portions and, and factions of you, if you will, of the Mexican press is that he's just not flexible, uh, that his four, three, three is, it is what it is. Even, even if it does kind of transform or morph into a four, four, two, depending on what's happening in the game. But yeah, you know, I don't think he, he'll change. I think the four, three, three is, is something that he, he said before he wants to perfect, uh, and not just the formation, but the, but the way each individual role, uh, really functions in, in that formation. 
he's spoken a lot about the importance of the, of his holding midfielder, which is Edson Alvarez uh, from from Club America, a, a player that's getting a lot a lot of interest from European teams, uh, namely Premier League teams. Uh, you know, I don't want to compare, but I think he reminds me of like. Uh, I guess for especially for you, Taylor, a Man United fan, like a, a Michael Carrick type of okay. player. You know, like he he's very smart on the ball. Uh, he has that size, kind of like that 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 difficult matchup type size in, in central midfield. Um, very smart in just the way he moves with and without the ball, and, and he can tackle really well and distribute. So uh, I think that's the key. And my 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 interest is what how Burhalter may see that role. And Edson Alvarez is something that do you want to nullify that or not? So, but no, I think uh, regardless of what the press says about Tati Martino not being flexible and and kind of being somewhat predictable as well with the way he's um, come out in, in in Gold Cup and even his substitution patterns, um, I don't think we'll see that change. I think he'll stick with what we saw in Haiti, which is probably the the strongest lineup considering the the roster that he has. In, in Gold Cup, um, and, and some players like Rodolfo Pizarro is is one of those guys that within that you know quote unquote rigid formation is a guy that has a lot of freedom and 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 kind of is the creative player that can break up um, a lot of play. And and if if, if a defense if a if an opponent thinks that the four through three is going to function one certain way, Pizarro is the guy that kind of goes off and runs off script and and can create a lot of havoc. So I think that's what we'll see from Mexico against the U.S., the same formation, the the same lineup against Haiti. So then it sounds like if one of these two teams is going to be flexible or one of these managers is going to be flexible, it's probably going to have to be Burhalter necessarily. So what are some areas you think that he might adjust to kind of exploit? What are some areas where Mexico has maybe looked weak uh, if you're an American fan and you want a slight glimmer of hope? Yeah, I think it will be Berhalter. He, but again, maybe not formation wise. Maybe he feels also like he he found something against Jamaica, um, because the first half against Jamaica was was what I think a lot of U.S. fans wanted to see a team that was a little bit more full tilt. Uh, they were very vertical. Uh, there was a little bit more intensity in just the way that they they, they move forward, um, even off the ball. Uh, you know, that was my criticism of the U.S. that I just felt like they they were kind of jogging through the group stage. And, and and expecting a matchup with Mexico, my my I was giving the Mexico an advantage because they had been in these games already where they had to, you know, really sell out and and, and face an opponent that that was going to play them, you know, man to man, like face up, like 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 Costa Rica, and then go against a team like Haiti that gave them plenty to think about, plenty of scare. So mentally, I feel like Mexico is already there. And my concern for the U.S. is that they were still kind of just going through the motions and they weren't really challenged, but I think against Jamaica, they turned it on a little bit more, you know, definitely before the weather delay. And, and I think what Burhalter can do is again, continue to allow Christian Pulisic to kind of do what he pleases. Um, and, 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 and cause I think that's a, obviously it's a, it's a very good weapon to have. And I can guarantee that Mexico and Tata and his staff are probably very concerned about Pulisic and giving him space and giving, allowing him to turn, uh, where is he going to be on the field? So I think if you play a player like Christian Pulisic wide, you're gonna you're going to force most likely um, one of their wingbacks, fullbacks, Mexico's fullbacks, um, to to defend and 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 probably be a little bit more concerned about Christian being alone in space than than attacking. Um, I, I think though Tata will probably adjust and and probably use one of his interior midfielders to to keep an eye on Christian Pulisic. 
Uh, but if I were Burhalter, I would look to say, hey, when we transition, where are we going? Where's the, what's the, the most likely area of the field that's going to be exposed? And it's probably going to be behind the, uh, two of the, both of Mexico's fullbacks. Uh, and, and so, the, again, the, I think that's somewhat the strength of the U.S. team as well. They have speed on, on, in wide positions, whether it's Areola, Pulisic, or Boyd. Um, and so I think that gives Mexico plenty to think about. Uh, you mentioned Edson Alvarez earlier, the holding midfielder, uh, Michael Carrick-esque holding midfielder. Um, wh- mm-hmm. what, what will his role be, do you think, in this game? Is he just sort of sitting in, keeping the ball moving? Will he be involved in like the defensive like situation? If there's man marking, will he be involved there? Or is it more important for Tata and for Mexico for him to kind of have a freer role, even as a holding midfielder? Yeah, I think it's important for him to play with a little bit of freedom. I mean, obviously, when because of the way that team attacks wide, um, they're often you know Edson becomes like part of a back three because the wingbacks are just constantly pushing forward, and so you're left with two central defenders and that holding midfielder that kind of drifts in and out of the back three into the that that first like chunk of the midfield, and so Edson Alvarez is very important in the build-up play also like he's the guy that gets you know he he's the first guy that the, the central midfielders are looking to um when they build from the back uh and if, if edson isn't on then they're going to go directly to one of the flank players because that's that's kind of like their direct route forward and so burhalter prize probably seen that as well that you're gonna have to pick and choose or if you can do both then then you're going to be money if you can nullify distribution to Edson Alvarez, and at the same time, uh, force the central midfielders to have to, you know, m- probably bypass the midfield line and not play through the windbacks. Uh, they're going to have to play long. But Edson Alvarez is very important in build-up play, possession, uh, tempo as well. Uh, and and he he's 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 a he's a brave player on the ball as far as how he possesses and how he distributes. He doesn't always play the easy ball. Um, but plus, but he also knows that he he's probably going to have alongside him two interior midfielders that are are even more skilled and technical than he is. And Andres Cuadrado, it could either be Jonathan dos Santos, um, or in my opinion, one one of Mexico's best players and, and best young players, which is Charlie Carlitos uh, Rodriguez, the 22 year old out of Monterrey. Just every time he's on the field, uh, he just kind of provide something he can do both he's a selfless and, and, and fearless defender very good on the ball uh, a very modern number eight that that can get in the box um, and combine very well with creative players so it'll, it'll see we'll see who starts there he didn't start against Haiti so Jonathan DeSantos most likely will get the start um, but it's an Alvarez I think the one thing that he did not do against Haiti and this is something that that I read um, from Mexico that was somewhat cr- critiqued. Um, because he didn't get forward. He, it was as if the, the technical staff had told him, you know, don't, don't venture too far forward. We don't want to get caught um, on a counter. Um, and because a lot of the narrative that we hear on the U.S. side is like Weston McKinney, like what kind of number eight is he? He's a guy that can get in the box. He can break lines because he's kind of like that one midfielder that that you're not sure what what he's doing. Can he play, he can play back? He can distribute. He can possess. He can attack. And Edson, I think, has that type of role. He's not probably as dynamic as Weston McKinney, but that holding midfielder role can surprise a defense because you know if he if he starts to push forward, it's just one more man. That's where the n- numerical advantage comes. Um, but I think his principal role is to sit in between. The, the two central midfield, the two central defenders sit in that midfield pocket, 
distribute and, and obviously be aware of any sort of potential threat from a counter and just snuff it out. So you may have just answered this as Felipe is wont to do. He anticipates questions. He answers lots of questions <laughs> that I don't even have to end up asking. Um, but this is a slightly strange uh, L3 roster. No Chicharito, no Carlos Vela, uh, no Gio Dos Santos, no Hector Herrera. Uh, so I was going to yeah. ask you who are maybe some of the like lesser known but like more important players for this team or players that maybe U.S. fans haven't seen yet that they might want to keep an eye on. It sounds like you've answered that in the form of Edson Alvarez and also in the form of uh, Carlitos Rodriguez. For sure, yeah. And, and I would add Rodolfo Pizarro as well. He's uh, 25, I believe. Um, so a, a little bit more experience, I guess, as far as you know the, how we evaluate ages in, in, in world football. Uh, but he's also a Monterey player, so along with he, he's a teammate of Charlie Rodriguez. And when they're on the field together, you can see that. Against Haiti, that was one of the, 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 the changes that um, – I guess probably Tata made from from the press box, but he asked his his assistant, chief assistant, to make that change. Charlie Rodriguez came on, and and they they combined very well those two Monterey players. Um, so I would say yes, uh, Carlitos Rodriguez, uh, a, a very good box to box number eight, uh, deceptive uh, um, as far as his his attacking ability is, uh, and 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 if you believe. You know everything, every kind of transfer rumor. He's another player that that is being looked at um, from Premier League sides, European sides, and and I think he's an he's a do everything type of player. Very, he has a baby face. He literally looks like an 18 year old. I think he's 22 though. Um, he, this is probably going into the final. His mm, I'm going to say fifth or sixth cap. I mean, it's like these are young players. Uh, that already look like they're they will definitely be part of this four year cycle for Tata getting to the 2022 World Cup, um, and then yeah, and then Edson Alvarez is, is a converted central defender from from Club America that uh, you know Tata saw something in him. He's like he's the the holy midfielder that I need, and he has already been playing in that in that role for 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 America, but again like. One of the things that Tata tends to do well is is really get the most out of out of his players and and and, and put them in positions where they can really use their talents. And so I think those two players are key. And and I'll, I'll double down on Rodolfo Pizarro um, because I think he's he's he is somewhat unknown in in and even in this rivalry, the U.S. Mexico rivalry. To your point, Taylor, like the U.S. fans tend to know everyone that's on the Mexican team. When, when, when these matchups come up, you just know who's going to be there and who's, and who's important. And I think this is a mixed squad, um, but there are a few players, like I mentioned, that Tata has already said these guys are very important to the national team. And Rodolfo Pizarro, who didn't start, I believe, until uh, in the Gold Cup until Haiti because he was kind of nursing a, a knock. Uh, before that game, Tata had been very public in saying, you know, Pizarro is our, one of our most important players. And he's a 10. He's like a modern 10. Uh, but he, but in Tata's system, he likes to play him wide um, and allow him to kind of drift in. He'll play him. He's a right footer, so he'll play them. He'll play Pizarro on the left, allow him to come in to the right. Uh, he, he's, he's decisive. He's, he's very confident on the ball. Um, I think we talked about it last week. Um, who did I say that was arrogant? I forget who I said was arrogant, but um, he, he's one of those arrogant players, you know, like he just has a lot of confidence in himself, especially when he's on the ball. Uh, these types of matchups, I think the, the, the more heated they are, 
the bigger he gets. He was like that against Costa Rica. He, he, he really excelled against Haiti. I think his final ball, the final product is the one thing that um, I think Mexico is really looking for. Uh, but yeah, I would say Edson Alvarez, holding midfielder, uh, Charlie Rodriguez, whether or not he comes in or doesn't, uh, he's a player that, that makes a difference. And then Rodolfo Pizarro, uh, their number 10 is someone that I think Tata and his staff really want to get going. Obviously, you can mention the number nine, Ralph Jimenez, uh, you know, a $30 million striker uh, for, for Wolves in the Premier League. That, also worth mentioning, I'm still trying to remember who it was that you called arrogant, but I, I cannot. I so forget. Inst- it, was, it was someone, I think it was, it was someone from Copa America. Who knows? I'll, I'll remember. <laughs> There are many options. There are many options there. Half of them, <laughs> exactly. I think, playing for Brazil. Um, but before yeah, we get yeah. to Copa America, I had one more question. Oh, it was Danny Alves. It was Danny Alves. That would make Danny sense. Alves. See, there yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> we got there eventually. <laughs> Thanks, Brazil. Yeah. More from Felipe in just a moment. But first, I wanted to remind our listeners that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by our friends over at Roughneck Scarves. R u f f n e c k scarves dot com. Uh, Roughneck Scarves are the official scarf providers to the U.S. Soccer Federation, to Major League Soccer, to the USL, and to the NCAA. Uh, if you wanted to prepare for your uh, various finals uh, this coming weekend, you could do so by heading over to Roughneck Scarves, where they've got scarves for every national team that will be competing in a major final this weekend. Uh, if you wanted to support the U.S. Women's National Team, they've got many scarves there, both like U.S. Soccer ones and then U.S. Women's National Team centric scarves. Check those out. Uh, if you are rooting against the U.S. Women's National Team, first of all, boo. But second of all, fine. Uh, and third of all, they do have the Hop Holland scarf. So you can get the nice orange scarf if you want to rep the Netherlands. Uh, for the Copa America final, they've got a couple different uh, Brazil offerings, including the Asa Chao one. I like that one. And then Peru. If you want to go the underdog route, Peru are there, well represented. And finally, there is, of course, a scarf for El Tri for Mexico if you want to support them uh, against the U.S. Men's National Team in the Gold Cup final. So you you could get scarves for all three competitions, and you could get those scarves at 20% off by using the promo code Total Soccer Show, all one word, all uppercase at checkout. One more time, that's uh, promo code Total Soccer Show for 20% off at roughneckscarves.com. Thank you very much to Roughneck for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to my conversation with Felipe Cardenas. My my final question on Copa, uh, excuse me, on Gold Cup. Uh, so Mexico started under Martino on, I believe, a nine game unbeaten run. He's still gotten some some criticism, some uh, concern from the Mexican press, but certainly not nearly as much as Juan Carlos Osorio got. My question then becomes: If Mexico somehow managed to lose the game tomorrow against the United States, hmm. what what is the reaction like? Do you think then is it a bigger deal because it's the United States, or is a loss in the final always going to be a big deal? Oh gosh, what a great question! I think yes, it's a, it'll be a, a very big deal because it's the U.S. because it's a U.S. team that didn't qualify for the World Cup. It's a, a U.S. team with a first-year manager, yep. and it's a Gold Cup that the that Mexico is always you know cons- expected to win. You know, even though the U.S. has won their fair share, I think I think Mexico has only won one more than than the U.S. And as far as Gold Cups go, I could be wrong, but uh, listen. Juan Carlos Osorio was 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 heavily criticized, but it was it, it really came after a 22 game unbeaten run. Uh, people forget that, and 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 he did beat Germany in the World yep. Cup, uh, deservedly so as well. Not not in, in kind of a cowardly sit back. Uh, we're just going to hope for PKs. So I think it was a group match. It was like one of those matches where you you have to win, uh, and they played very well and beat Germany. 
with with Tata, yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure. There is a lot of pressure on him uh, in this Gold Cup. It, it, it seemed like there wasn't in the group stage, and I even wrote about it. How they there's not much. We don't know much about this team yet because they were kind of cruising through, you know, the first phase of this tournament, um, and then really from the knockout phase against Costa Rica, that's where you could really feel the pressure of like, this team cannot afford to lose. They cannot crash out in the quarterfinals to Costa Rica. They did not. They managed to survive in penalties. And then Haiti, there were moments where, you know, Haiti could win this game. Haiti could get to PKs and win it, or Haiti could steal something on a counter. And it would be, it would have been devastating for, for Tata Martino and, and his, really the honeymoon phase that, that he is maybe it's starting to end just because of, you know, now the press is starting to figure things out that they, that they like and that they don't like. Um, and, and now you have this huge match, which I can guarantee both nations uh, have been preparing for um, both technical staffs ever since they took over. Uh, and so it's, it's a, it's a gigantic game for, for Tata. I think they, he has to come out and be that manager that can once again, continue what Juan Carlos Osorio did, who let's not forget, he, he ended the dos, the dos a cero, like that, that, mm -hmm. that qualifying type of, you know, miss of Mexico, not being, being able to beat the U S in Columbus, uh, simply just not being able to beat the U S period for the last, you know, cycle. And so Osorio ended that and, and somewhat took over once again, CONCACAF, you know, like wrestled away from the U S who had been doing very well. You saw the U.S. just, you know, go down in flames uh, in, before the World Cup. And so that's what Mexicans like to see. That's what the, especially the Mexican press likes to see. This is where we belong, they would probably say. And this is where the U.S. belongs. They should be chasing us. Uh, and, and now you get to a final where, like you and I said, Taylor, like as soon as Mexico and the U.S. play, everything just kind of goes out the window. Like I still think this will be a tactical battle uh, in the beginning, but – as soon as the players realize who they're playing, what what's at stake, uh, it doesn't matter your tactics. It's going to come down to who you know, who really who has that that those guts, who backs down, and who's more effective and clinical in front of goal. Because these are the kind of games that that first goal can change everything. So to answer your qu original question, yeah, I think even though Osorio was heavily criticized he still had results that he could point to and say we made progress. We want some huge games at big tournaments, a world cup. And he was still offered the chance to continue on. He walked away, whether or not you believe why it could have been because of like, you know, I'm, I'm over this, like no matter what we do, it's, it's, it's lose, lose for the manager. And now Tata has been very straightforward with, with, okay, he knows what he's stepping into. Um, obviously he's prepared and, 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 and capable of managing the scrutiny, um, but results are results. And that was why something that I wrote recently was the, 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 the man, the reporters are like, okay, they're trying to find ways. What can we poke holes through? And one of the things that they would do is like, ask these hypothetical questions, like what will happen when you lose, you know, and, and will, will your project, will you, will you question your process and your project as soon as you, you suffer defeat? Um, and, and so Tata would just be like, you know, I'm sure he loved like, that. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. He was like, well, he said something like it was in the last story. It was like, you're going to, you guys are going to analyze no matter what you're analyzing, you're going to analyze the sport regardless of who's managing. Uh, and it's based on results, whether we win or lose won't change what you guys do as, as your, as your function as, as, as journalists. Mm. Uh, he went on to say that like, of course the technical staff, including myself, we know that when we suffer a defeat, we're going to be very upset about it. But, 
he tried to spin it that like in defeat you learn things but it's like i think he knew he was he he knew that the the the, the press is just waiting for something negative to happen um and, and he'll have to be prepared for that all right so that final uh 9 p.m sunday evening uh felipe speaking of time uh how much more time do you have uh before are you flying out today for chicago yes i am so yeah i've got about 10, 15, all right, before, all right, before all right. my travel anxiety really sets in. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll aim for maybe slightly <laughs> under 10 so we don't get the full anxiety. But I did also want to ask you about the Copa America final uh, that is also on Sunday, 4 p.m., Brazil versus Peru. Uh, not maybe the final I expected. Uh, I did expect yeah. Peru to get past Chile. They obviously did not. Uh, they, they instead beat Chile 3-0, did Peru. So my question for you is in, uh, what, El Clasico de Pacifico? Del Pacifico? Yeah. Uh, what did Chile get right and or Peru get wrong? Excuse, other way around. Sorry. Other way around. <laughs> what did Peru get right and or Chile get wrong? Yeah, that that's that was a big talking point coming out of coming out, out of that game in both countries. Um and it was it was purely tactical. I think a lot of uh reporters fo- like focused on that. Um and and I was very surprised. I thought Chile would would kind of not walk over Peru but kind of use that momentum from their victory against Colombia where they they were very tactically clean um, in that match against Colombia Chile were and and in this case it was very impressive because Peru flipped the script on them and they they employed a very like a suffocating high press uh, in a four two one two one type of formation that Ricardo Greca felt was one way of really you know neutralizing Chile's four three three you know full tilt. A vertical attack and it worked and so the high press was very important for peru uh and not only not throughout the game but it was like they came on the field and just took over and and they pressed high they had a four a midfield four block uh that was just you know they played with 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 knives between their teeth really like they were focused on tackling they tackled hard but then they were very purposeful when they would recover and distribute, it wasn't just like, okay, we have the ball now we're going to sit on it. They would just like get forward and go. And I think the first, their first two goals were, were from midfielders crashing the box. So it's not like you had a, a, a compact midfield block of four that were just, you know, trying to snuff out a counter. Like they were guys that were tackling, distributing and getting forward. And so putting a lot of pressure on Chile uh, and, and they quickly took that to nothing lead. Uh, and I think another thing that, you know, the, the, the four, two, one, two, one, you have a guy like Cueva who can do a little bit of everything. And then obviously just like one of the best number nines in South America, Paolo Guerrero, that they would take advantage of kind of like the chaos that was going on in, in the midfield and they would roam free and, and, and get on the ball in dangerous positions, um, you know, inside the box. And, and, and just like they, they caused a lot of concern. And I think Chile just never, never really recovered and and their manager the colombian manager reynaldo reda was very blunt in in his post-game press conference when he said our he literally said my players were thinking about sunday's final wow and so i think that tells you a lot about yeah. where they were mentally and and it, and it goes back to that criticism of, that we all have of chile you know i was watching that game like upset like why didn't we get this chile like why didn't <laughs> colombia get this 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 version you know um but and and cuz that's what we we all think of them it's like these guys turn it on when they want and and if they don't uh, then they they try to score a panenka on the 90th minute oh when they're God. down 3 nothing it's ridiculous and it, you know it's like that is that is uh, chile like yep. at their at their worst and and at their best they can beat anybody in South America handily. 
And so uh, full credit to Peru because not only tactically were they very good, but on you know the mentality side, considering that this is a derby for them, that they don't that they're the underdog in the in these derbies typically. Uh, so uh, full credit to them because they believe that they could get this done, and now they have an opportunity to for really a rematch uh, from the five nil group stage match against Brazil. You know, to to win their their second Copa America ever since 1975. We got to watch that uh, live, the, the Chile Peru game, because of the rain delay in the USA Jamaica game, mm-hmm. I believe it was. And yeah, our our yep. jaws like collectively dropped here in the office when the uh, the attempted panenka did not come off in the 90 plus minute. Oh my god, that was terrific. Um, but yeah, to your point, then uh, this is a Peru side that lost five 0 to Brazil in the group stage. What do you think they will do to correct that? Like, was that a one-off exper- experimental sort of thing, or are they going to need to kind of change their game plan entirely to avoid another shellacking in the final? Yeah, I mean, they're, like we talked about with Mexico-U.S., which is the team that's going to ju- adjust. I mean, it has to be Peru. They're going to have to decide. I think they were way too safe in, in that first group stage match, and and they caught a Brazil that was that that they also needed that type of victory. They're coming from. Let's be honest. Not not two great performances in in the group stage. Uh, they they caught Peru and and really just you know owned them completely uh, throughout the field. And so I think the one thing that I've read already from Peru's players, especially Paulo Guerrero, what he said is like for when you play Brazil, you have to test them. You have to you have to put them under pressure. Uh, you know, if you if you come out too conservatively, and, you know, a team like Brazil can can eat you up. They'll just take over the field. They'll they'll, they'll back you into. They'll put you in your own box, and, and and then you're in trouble from there. And so, I think w- that's something that Peru did to Chile. They they did not sit back. Um, they they were very forward thinking. And if they if they have the bravery to do that in front of uh probably 60,000 65,000 Brazilians at the famed Maracanã uh where everyone is expecting Brazil to lift that trophy you know they could they could really make a game of it uh the, this victory against Chile will probably give them plenty of of confidence but will Ricardo Gareca once again kind of be a little bit too conservative and, and pay for it we'll see i think Brazil has it's too much really they have too much firepower they're at home uh, they just defeated Argentina. I don't think they're going to come into this game asleep. But again, I was deadly wrong about that same type of setup with Chile. I thought Chile would walk over Peru. So, yeah, it's not the matchup that people expected. It's not the dream matchup. I think people would have loved to see Brazil-Chile. Brazil, um, Brazil Chile. Um, But again, you're getting two very good sides, two technically, technically gifted sides. Uh, a Paulo Guerrero that is beloved by a lot of Brazilians. He plays for Flamengo in Brazil, one of probably the the team in Brazil with the most support. Uh, and we're talking about a, a gigantic country. And so he's he's like a legend already in Brazil. It'll be an interesting kind of uh, narrative for him as well. All right. Well, Felipe, I don't want to uh, give you too much anxiety. So I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate <laughs> you taking extra time to uh, help me get a better understanding of Mexico and then to preview uh, Copa America. Yeah, you're off to the Gold Cup final. Uh, I hope that you get to ask a – I don't want it to be a happy Tata Martino because that means he's won. But I want you to get, get to ask right. a like polite Tata Martino a question and maybe you guys can be best friends again. 
We'll see. We'll see. I know that <laughs> it's funny because I've been asked this question this week. Like, oh, did he did he remember you? And I'm like, yeah, he does. He he's very good with faces. And when he was in Atlanta, he recognized all the local journalists, and it was kind of good to see them. I think in my case, he was surprised to see me like in Denver and Charlotte. He was like, wait, what? Um, and, and then and, and I it just like would be that I would be the guy asking a question after one of these like uh. provoking questions. So it was funny. Like he, w- once he kind of like stared down a journalist and asked him like, and said, I don't agree with your narrative. You're wrong. The next question was me. And I was like, uh, hi Tata. You know? So it was, it was funny that like after he <laughs> took on like the barrage of like the Mexican press, it was like, Hey, friendly face. Um, and, and yeah, and I want to, I want to ask you about tactics because that's what I do. So, so it was, yeah, I'm sure he'll, he'll, he'll be happy to see me if they win. If not, it doesn't really matter who's asking the questions. Yeah. If people are new to interviewing or asking questions, it's always better to go with the, like, like what was this or how did you do this versus a, so your team was bad. Why were they bad? Yeah. They don't really love that one. Yeah. The coaches, not so much. So I'm glad that you've not so much. Yeah. Felipe, I, I know that's not a question you would ever ask because you ask good questions. You write great stuff, obviously uh, for the athletic. And I'm assuming that's where we can find your coverage of the final uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I'll obviously be be concepting before the story, not or before the game. I'm sorry, like like what can happen, uh, what what's expected, and then sometimes with the way these things work, you're, what you have what you have planned to write can change, you know, in a matter of seconds. So, uh, but yeah, look out for 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 a piece after the final on the athletic soccer. And, and yeah, don't forget to follow The Athletic Soccer as well on Twitter at The Athletic SCCR. And while we're throwing out Twitter names, uh, yours one more time, Felipe? I am at Felipe Carr. There we are. All right. Well, thank you very much. Once again, safe travels. And again, uh, I apologize for creating any anxiety. Hey, no problem, dude. Anytime. You know, you know I love to be on the show. <laughs> well, we love you. So thank you, Felipe. Take care, man. 